Hi everybody, this is Nick, and I just want to let you know uh, this will be my last interview episode of the year, but it won't be the last episode of the season. We'll have one more episode to go after this one. Um, we'll, the show will return in February uh, with all new guests and, of course, uh, some returning guests as well. Um, the last episode of the year will be Top 10 Film Reviews with Kyle Gothy and Brian Eggert. And they'll provide their top 10 best films of the year. And look forward to that for the last week around last week of December. Um, hope you enjoy this episode. Um, thanks for listening. We greatly appreciate it. Um, you can, of course, follow the show on Twitter and Instagram. And look forward to many more great episodes next year. But for now, enjoy my episode with Dan Bublitz. All right, we're here with Dan, and he knows it's dedication time. Dan, what would you like to dedicate this episode to? This is dedicated to all the independent artists out there, whether you're uh, a, a graphic artist, a performing artist, music artist. If you're independent and you're grinding away, this gotta episode's hustle. for you. Yeah, got to hustle. I know. Everybody's talking about Keanu Reeves is pitching this comic book idea. It's like, it's not that hard. You have Keanu Reeves and you write any comic book business, Ex I got an idea, it's going to get made. Exactly. Right, yeah, like... Danzig, Glenn Danzig was doing comic books, and everybody's like, "How hard is that?" I got a story for a comic book. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yes, let's dedicate it to independent make creative makers. Yes, independent creative creatives. Yes. All right, we're back on the show. Today we have... I'm Dan Bublitz Jr. That's who I am. How do you say last name? Bublitz. Bublitz. Yes, it's pronounced Bublitz. And it's funny because I have a joke about this, about my name, because the way it's spelt, a lot of people will pronounce oh. it Bublitz. Yep. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And uh, when I tell people how to say it, I try to... It's easy. You just break it into two words. You just do boo, like you're a ghost, yeah. and blitz. You know, and you put that together, that's my name. It's pretty pretty straightforward. Um. Of course, it's going to be comedy with a name like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. How could it not be? It's, you know, and, I, and that's a that's actually my opening joke is about people mispronouncing my name, and how you know, it, well, in the joke, I just say, you know, I tell them my name, and I say how most people pronounce it, and I say, but whether you pronounce it the right way or the other way, I look like how it sounds. You know, it's a good visual joke, and. Uh, but yeah, and even when I tell people what it is, they'll still mispronounce it. I know. It's going to be a wonderful challenge for me now when next time I get inebriated trying to say it. <laughs> I always like it when people, they, 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 because it has German origins, but there's people that will say my name in a way that makes it sound French. And that always cracks me up because they'll be like, Bublitz. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'll take it, I guess. But <laughs> so Dan also not only does stand up, and you can catch his shows. He'd be traveling, really yeah, busy yeah. doing the stand up. But uh, yep. he also has two different podcasts. And before we begin, um, let's bring it up how people can find your shows as we continue on. Let's get that out of the way first. No, oh, absolutely. So I have a new podcast that I just started in November. It's called Submerged with Dan Bublitz Jr. 
And what I do with that podcast is I'm interviewing people, mostly comedians, artists, and because that's the people in my circle. But I'm talking to people about their obsessions, the things that, you know, whether it's a fandom or whether it's, you know, science or, you know, a hobby of some sort. And I'm interviewing them about it. And what they're doing is they're teaching me. You know, I'm asking questions, and it's a learning experience for me and the people who listen to the podcast. So you get to learn about something that you might not have knew about, you know, like a particular topic. Like the first episode that I released, I talked to my guest's name was uh, is Michelle Mildred, and she's a graphic artist, and she, she submerged me in indie nail polish. And I didn't know what that is. And you look very confused right now. And that's exactly it. It's basically, you to sum it up, it would be essentially craft nail polish. Like you oh, have craft okay. beer where it's independent people that are hand mixing these nail polishes colors, and then okay. s- these colors and then selling, ah. you know, like on Etsy or there's, and there's sites for it too, where they can, you know, buy and sell these, these products. And then there's people that collect them, you know, and use them to do their own nails and things like that. And I didn't know that was a thing. That know? is a weird subculture. It is. It's a different it's just, subculture. Yeah. And it was very interesting. I'm not saying weird as bad. I'm saying very. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, because it's. I'm sure people just, I'm tired of the colors options provided me at the store. I'm just going to make my own. That's probably how it started. Yeah, right? probably. Yeah. They wanted to try something cool and mix something together and came up with something new. Yeah. And then it also has to do with the, that's the submerged one. Yes. That's yeah. submerged. And that also has to do when it, they, the, the mixing too with the dyes, because some dyes, there's not a lot of dyes. So it's limited amounts of these nail polishes too you know that's why people oh like you know you can't get this color oh you know there's only so many bottles of this color and so it kind of adds like uh, i wonder if they trade them like scarcity to it i wonder if they you know buy and sell them like drug dealers hey if you go down this corner (laughs) i wouldn't be surprised i talk to this guy they buy sell and trade like people collect comic books so go down this alley (laughs) knock three times And then you can get magenta. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's about right. Um, but well, yeah, you're surrounded by my obsession. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm, Batman, I'm, mine right? is very similar. Yeah, so Batman, <laughs> and, well, comics, but focusing more on Batman's. I, I've been buying Batman since I was 12, and I'm 45, so it's been been a while. So, wow, Batman specifically, specifically, right? Really, more or less. If I have 20 bucks and I can only, and if I need to catch up on my Batman's. That's what's what it's. That's where the twenty bucks is going. Right. I like it. I hate, Batman's one of my favorite characters. Too. I don't like how he's always part of a group, mm-hmm. or like Justice League. It's like he's the most introverted person. Why do you need to be surrounded by people? Right. <laughs> You're not wrong on that. That's a right. good observation about him. I mean, the only reason they got Robin is to lighten up the mood because it's mm-hmm. getting such flagged. So many the early years of being so dark. They're like, you have to brighten up. Well, just bring this boy kid and he's dressing colors and brighten it up. Brighten Let's it up. have That's a little the, fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I like it when it's a little more moody and dark. That's why I'm an- really anticipating the new one coming out. What's the new one coming out? The Batman. Ooh, the Batman. With Robert Pattinson, which I think they're going to get the right. Oh, the movie. Oh, yeah, sorry. Movie. Yeah. I got confused for a second because, you know, we're surrounded by comic books. And then you said the new one, and I thought there was a new comic coming out. <laughs> it's where new my brain movie. is associated. Did I speak too fast? The new yeah. movie. My, yes. My yes. mouth goes faster than my brain sometimes. But the new movie, I think they get the right tone and temperament. What's As of current, what's yeah. your favorite Batman movie? Oh, The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight? Yeah. Yep. 
It was really good. Yeah. It's one of the best. And then that's I do like the originals from the eighties with uh Michael Keaton. Yeah. And then when he got when they finally were comfortable to do the dark, really dark, but it's still kind of campy. Because mm-hmm. it's eighties. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It definitely has that eighties feel. <laughs> and of course it's Tim Burton, so you need the choir music. Every yes. every every movie he has it has uh, <laughs> the vocalizations of music. Yeah. Yeah. So. Very true. But we're talking about Batman, but you wear Deadpool. Now, yeah, I do wear Deadpool. One superhero that would do stand up would, would be Deadpool. Probably. Yeah. Probably. I think there's some other ones. I think uh Spider Man. I could see Spider Man doing some stand up. He's Super awkwardly, very awkwardly, Dude, but dad you know. jokes probably. <laughs> uh, probably, but <laughs> I could see it because yeah. he's got kind of a sense of hu- sense of humor. Yeah, I would imagine Deadpool would be the first one, and anybody oh, who's yeah. heckling him, he get shot dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He'd just be like, "We're done." <laughs> <laughs> that would it, that would be fun to watch. I mean, what just reading his stuff and watching like the movies, it is like watching a stand up with all his wisecracks and things like that. I have one issue of Deadpool, and I can't, I can't. It's in the archives, but the the one artist who wasn't really a good artist. But a Deadpool is like knew the artist was drawing him. Was like, oh crap! You hired this guy to draw me. Oh my god, he can't do a straight line. Oh, look at this! Look what I have to deal with. It. And it was like a self-aware episode. Yep. It was hilarious. Like this guy can't even do feet. Look at the look at my feet in this one. This is terrible. And then he had problems running, and it was really hilarious. Oh my god, that's hilarious. That's <laughs> a that's a great uh, concept. <laughs> but any any superhero that could break the fourth wall, that would have been yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah. You could yeah. totally see them doing stand up if they break the fourth wall for sure, because <laughs> that means they're very self aware. Um, so you you do st- how long have you been doing stand up? Uh, Eleven years. Eleven years. Yeah, I'm going on my twelfth year, so, so it's been quite a while. How long how long you been doing cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, I've never done cocaine. You're a stand up comedian, never done. Oh, oh I've Breaking not. Down my yeah. uh, the the hardest drug that I've ever parked took in is the marijuana and that's why i don't do drugs because i said it as the marijuana <laughs> and he didn't call up for a pizza right no i passed out uh <laughs> that's that's what happens to me <laughs> i remember uh, i probably the last time i did marijuana was watch 2001 a space odyssey and it totally made sense to me <laughs> I was like, I'm getting this. I'm getting it. There's a thread in the cosmics that it's connected to, and I'm in it, man. I'm in that wave. And then, <laughs> and then you're like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, no. For me, it just makes me sleepy. So I don't really, I don't really do that either. I it just, I just get tired. So okay. I'm my my probably if I you know had a drug of choice, it's alcohol. <laughs> I like to drink. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why you do stand up over Wisconsin. Exactly. <laughs> Love. I'm a big craft beer guy, so I, I like I like going to breweries and and uh, experiencing local beers and stuff. So that's always fun. That's a little niche. It's almost like the nail polish thing of people. Mm-hmm. There's a huge my uh, my friends Nick and Katie that run Allard Brewery, and there's this people that travel. They just no, go absolutely. To- Go to, let's check out this craft beer here, and then you know. Like I have that. a I have an episode of Submerged that'll be coming out with a comedian friend and his wife who do that. They travel to breweries really? and they have their own <clears throat> they have their own um, uh, Instagram co- account called the Beer Finds. There you go. Uh, because his last name is uh, Burfind, and so. <laughs> 
So they're yeah, they're the beer fonts. <laughs> legitimately turned out. So they did a play on words on it, and they do that. They go to breweries and they'll post like little reviews and stuff, and little live videos that they do. And it's not, nothing that they're trying to like get famous for or whatever. They just enjoy going to breweries and doing that kind of stuff. But that's an episode that'll be coming out coming out too. Um, before we move on. You have another podcast. I do. And this is a little bit longer life. Yes, this podcast. So this is the podcast that uh, I've been doing for uh, four and a half years. It's called the Art of Bombing podcast. It's a comedy podcast where I talk to mostly comedians. Sometimes I have other guests on there because I feel like, you know, the concept is bombing and what you can learn from it to get better at whatever your craft is. Yeah, it's failure. But, you know, bombing stories in comedy are pretty entertaining. You, you know, so they can be pretty entertaining to hear, especially when you get to hear the comedians talk about it, because, um, you know, they'll probably tell the story in a funny way. So it's comical. Oh, in that my God, way. this joke's going to work and I'm going to kill it. And then it's like, oh, what? and it didn't. Or they're excited to do a whole show and, and then, you know, it, the show doesn't go good. Like I had one guest on that told a story about uh, where they he was on the showcase with some other comics. And they like sold out this venue to like a thousand people. Like it was a huge venue. They okay. they all did their part to promote. They okay. filled it. And uh, he walked almost all a thousand. That's how bad his set was. <laughs> and there was still one comic left after him. Oh. So yeah. So like it's things like that that are stories like that are that are fun to to hear. And then the the second Part of that is that for comedians, because that's mostly the audience with that podcast. It's almost like therapy to get it out. It's ther- and- well, it's therapy to get it out, but it's also something that like newer comics can learn from because sure. now you have you know you have these comedians that have all this experience and they they learn things from these bad shows and then they share what they've learned over the years and how they've gotten better and what they've did to avoid bombing. I mean. At any level, you can still bomb. There's so many different elements that go into stand up that could cause a set to be a bomb. But, you know, you hope as you, the longer you do it, the less that happens. But these guests talk about that, you know, and I've had some pretty famous comedians on it. I have you know, Louis Anderson was on recently. Chad Daniels was another comic that was on. Dusty Slay. Eric. Uh, uh, these are really. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Eric. Uh, uh, Andy Erickson, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> Andy Erickson, uh, you know. So I've had a lot of great comics do this podcast, and you know, over the years. So, and then the nice thing about it too is it's not all just famous comedians. I, you know, the 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 talent that I put on there, it it ranges from newer comics to comics like Louis Anderson that have been doing comedy for forty years. You know, so it gets a good range, and that brings a lot of different, unique perspectives about comedy f- and failure, and what you can learn from it. Sure, and I, and I, I think people forget stand-up comedy. There is a kind of a discipline. There is kind of a rhythm to it that you just—it's not just going up on stage with a spotlight in your face and just no. spitting out. There's jokes. a lot of work behind Transition. the scenes. I think yep. Louis was probably the master of transitions because if somebody before him could kill it, like Scott Hansen would just mm-hmm. murder the stage. All right, next up, he kind of knew how to transition from that where you come back down and because you do accolades to Scott. Hey, everybody, Scott, Scott. It's the point where everybody, all right, enough about Scott. What do you have? And that was a nice soft transition when you're stand up instead of just going black right in there right after somebody killed it. Yeah. That yep. you knew. You got to almost kind of like resetting the room. 
Yes, yeah. That's, Sam Kinison was great at it too because he would go to Dangerfields and Rodney would do his act and everybody's like, all right, what do you got after Rodney? And then he talked about how, hey, Rodney, that's joke. Or he's like, hey, I got another joke for Rodney. You could do this one for free. And that's yep. kind of like, yeah, reset. And then everybody's, nah, and everybody comes back to you. Yep, you can... reset the room, kind of bring the bring the energy level to whatever your energy level is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's a whole new skill that you have to always yeah. learn. Yep. Yeah. There, reading, I mean, there's all kinds of skills. Reading that the room. I think David read, Tell knows how to read a room. Reading the room is important. Yeah. That's like one of the big ones because if you if you misread a room, that's a good chance that you're gonna that your set's gonna you're gonna end up bombing, you know, if you don't read it properly. And that happens. I I feel like that's a a cause of a majority of people bombing is not reading the room properly, or not having the experience in the material. Like you might be able to read the room, but you don't have enough material to where you can change. Yeah where you're going and you only have X amount of jokes. So you're going to do those X amount of jokes. Well, and then, and if the audience doesn't like these jokes you're already doing, and those jokes are similar to what you're doing, they're probably not going to like them either. But <laughs> if you only got them jokes, you're, you're, you're going to go through. <laughs> I know I was in, when I was in the late nineties going to college, we had a Thursday night class. And then we would all after class at the U of University of Minnesota, we would like class went in around seven and we always go to Acme comedy club mm-hmm. Thursday. We did that for, over two years we had that thursday night art class and then we just go and see and thursday i think in the late 90s for acme was kind of like open mic but you had maybe you had a little more experience it wasn't just like an open mic it was like maybe kind of like fresh so i think what they do with and and i don't know if it's been the same all that because that's obviously before i started doing 30 yeah over i mean i was 25 years yeah i I, yeah i was a, a, a rather a young lad then uh and by young lad, I mean in the, the late 90s, I was uh, in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, so <laughs> still young man. Awesome. Still saying awesome. Yeah, yeah exactly. Still <laughs> saying awesome Listen to and listening to my ska music uh, like the old man that I am. <laughs> but uh, I know now that the, the, their open mic is you know, it's uh, it's kind of a hybrid of right. It's can be brand new talent, but it's also a place where they showcase some of their regular, like lo- the the locals that are yep. regular talent. That's what I was so trying like, to explain. Yeah, yeah features. Always, yep. Yeah, like they're the people that work at the club locally, like MCs and features. They can do. They usually do some spots on the new talent night, and then then you have complete new people all together and so they do a good job of mixing that together so you know like like a lot of open mics you could go to an open mic and see a bunch of brand new comics and it'd be just terrible because they're all brand new comics they're still learning they don't have their stuff together but with a case like with acme even if there's a few that are terrible you're probably gonna end the night you know you're you're gonna see some really good talent you know not everybody from the on the show is gonna bomb at, where no, you can yeah. see that at a, a regular open mic. So it's a good hybrid. No, that's what I'm saying. We would go every Thursday, and you can see some of them that started very raw, very green. But then when they polish it, it's like, oh, my God, this is actually is like an art form. Because mm-hmm. you watch them grow, and you're like, yep. oh, now that you did the same joke two weeks ago, and it's, but now you know how to say it. Now you yep. know how to do it, the, the pause and everything. Change the delivery, or maybe you added, took some words out or reworded it. Yep, I all kinds remember, of things. My funny experience was this person that I'm trying to mention. I, I won't mention, I can't, um, but he was learning, 
and then he did the same joke, and then for the first, and then everybody started laughed at it for the first time ever, and then he started the next one. He goes, "Oh shit, I forgot to pause. You guys are actually laughing at that one. I was gonna start a new one." <laughs> That's amazing. And so we laughed in the heart. He's like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I'll wait for you. All right. That's awesome. That's so funny. He wasn't expecting to laugh that time. That definitely happens. That's then he it's took easy out his to little forget. He's like, pause for that. <laughs> Take that note. <laughs> Do it right now. <laughs> well, the That's one thing great. I, I know it's hard when you, especially when you work so hard on stand-up comedy, and then you. Make it big, and then people want to attract you, get you movies, and they're like, well, what screenplay have you written? And you're like, that's what frustrated Richard Pryor so much because he worked so hard at being a stand-up comedian. Then they want to put him in movies. They're like, all right, what movies have you written? And you go, are you kidding me? I do stand-up. What do you think I'm sitting at home writing a screenplay? Yep. Yeah. Or trying acting? I'm a stand-up comedian. Do you have to work around that first? Yep. Yeah. And that No, and you're right. And that's why like a lot of times when comedians get – like uh, a TV deal, it's usually a developmental deal, and they'll get paired with a screenwriter or a TV writer to try to develop something. Yeah. You see that a lot. That's why. Yeah, that's with, what happened with Ray Romano. Yeah, yeah. it's because you're right. I mean, if you're doing stand up, you're concentrating on writing your stand up and going out and performing. And not every stand. I know there's a lot of stand ups that you know. I think their end goal is to get into TV and movies, and so they'll have stuff ready. You know, they try to have stuff ready, but then they're not devoting as much time to stand up, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. And it, that doesn't mean it's affecting how well they are at stand up or not. But they're just probably more dedicated to writing as a craft in yes. general. You yeah, know what I more mean? Like, like writer joker. Yeah. Right? They're more of a writer than uh, like Seinfeld. Performer. Like Ray Romano yeah, would probably just, be having writing that out. David Letterman would probably be writing it out. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, but you see that a lot where comedians end up getting paired with somebody that can actually have the, the writing skill. <laughs> so do you do write your own or you just... For like, what do you mean? Like my comedy? I, yeah. yeah. I, well, my stand-up, yeah. My stand-up is all, I do all my own writing. I don't have like a anybody that I work with. I mean, I have friends that are in stand-up and sometimes I'll, we'll workshop together, but it's oh, not cool. like, yeah. it's not like I have a writer that we just work together on projects and stuff. But, and I do, in addition to stand up, I do do some other writing now and again, you know, because before I got into stand up, I dabbled in filmmaking. Uh, and I realized that as much as I loved it, it was a hard thing to do because no it was kidding. such a collaborative thing. It is. Yeah. And when you're not actually in the industry, when you're, you're kind of making short films for fun. You know, the people that are helping you are your friends and family and getting together to make a movie is just more of a fun thing for them versus taking it serious. And I was always kind of like, hey, I want to make this movie. Let's, let's you know, do it legitimately. like I'm like, let's get it done, you know. And and so I got tired of like depending on people. And it is like, it, it's even for me who likes to have my own control, I make my own comic books. And then when you make your own comic books, you're the writer, director, you're the costume designer and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we're making a movie and then somebody's like, well, it's, we have to do it this way. It's cheaper or somebody's late. That drives me nuts. Yeah. yeah. And driving. when you're working with friends, like, you know, like you said, they, they're, they, they don't take it as serious, especially because, you know, you're making a low budget film and there's really no money involved. Nobody's making any money off of it. It's more of a fun thing you're doing. There's no uh, commitment. So if they decide they don't want to show up last minute, yeah. <laughs> you're up yeah. a crick. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of, it is, a, and I've 
I've said it before. It is a miracle any movie gets made. Short, long feature. There's oh, absolutely. so many obstacles, you know. Mm-hmm. People, my famous story is people thought Shane Black retired from writing and from making movies. He came back to make Iron Man 3. And he goes, no. I was working 10 years on doing a collab with Mel Gibson before his big meltdown. And then people yeah. thought, oh, he's working with Mel Gibson. So they, they almost blacklisted me. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> and then right? it took yep. a lot. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't really go away. I just, yeah, yeah just kind of got part of the pushed collab. under the. <laughs> yeah. And I got melted into this. I had no affiliation. Yeah. Yep. Simply because I was working on a movie to get made with Mel Gibson. All of a sudden, his big meltdown. And then yeah. I get, yeah. So there's a lot of things that can happen circumnavigably that you really don't have no control yeah, over. Yeah, absolutely. And I did my short film. We had to look for a location three times before we, I was like, okay, we got a location set, secured. That's, that's important. And then that got closed down. And like, we got the next one. Oh, went out of business. We can't. And then like, all right, third time's a charm. Yep. No, that and that stuff like that definitely happens with, you know, I, I really, what you said there about uh, a miracle any film gets made is absolutely yeah. true. And that's why when you actually get a finished product, it's such an amazing feeling as a creator, like to think, you know, you have an idea yeah. and you take this idea or this concept all the way through the process and then you see it on a big screen and it's like, wow, we did that. That's an amazing, amazing yeah. feeling. Yeah. And I, I and I'll always remember that the first time we did it, you know, because what we did is we started doing a lot of the 48 hour film challenges. That's kind of what where we oh, made yeah, we, had, we had many guests. Come on, and for my listeners, Outstate, Outworld, they know about 48 hours. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but that's what we would do. And I remember the first one we did, like all our films were terrible. We had terrible equipment. We None of us knew how to make films. Like we didn't have professional sound and whatever. Like we weren't professional actors. We were doing it for fun. But even so, even though these films that we made were terrible, they were fun to us, but having to see that and having an idea and watching it go to a finished product was just an amazing feeling. Yeah. Something I'll never forget. I would, uh, especially for my, my short film, you have to know where you should send it. Really? Honestly, mm-hmm. your film, you have to know where your film's going to work. And my film, I, people call it a dark comedy. I don't see it. People call it a film noir. They have a very different mixtures. And so it did really well at independent short awards. It did really well. It won like four awards. But then I submitted it to Screaming Off Screen, where that's that monthly film festival in Minneapolis, yep. where they, you show your movie and then the, for two minutes, and then people don't like it, they'll rip it out. It's kind of like a gong show, but yeah, for it's gong. Movies. They'll gong it, so they like scream gong, and I turn to my wife and go, "It's going to get gone." And she goes, "Why? You just want it's going to get gone because it's not the atmosphere for this." Yep, it's that's not the not, audience. For not it. the audience. They want party. They want funny. They, yep. They'll kill it. And of course, the what won was as simple. This woman made a handheld puppet octopus, and she just <laughs> talked about all the life of the octopus and a whole lot of problems. And then she, the, the octopus was live, like doing the dishes. And then she said, "Rock 'em, sock 'em," and that won. Wow! <laughs> and I go, yep. I turn on, I go, that's what they want. They want yep. fun. They want I skewed. Mine's a little more, you know, blood simple. For a Cone Brothers, it's not going to work in this room. Yep. Nope. You're you're absolutely yeah. right. You do have to. But and seeing and that's all stuff too. Like, if I made a short film now, I would have I have uh, fifteen years more of experience than I did when I started doing filmmaking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
I also have a, uh, a education now in marketing, education and business, like these yeah. things I didn't have then. So like, <laughs> I would apply because that's the other thing with a lot of people that do independent projects and being creative. It's that's tough to know how to sell it. It is. And that's a skill set that it doesn't matter where you are as a, if you're a creator, you have to, you, you you can just go create all you want, but if you don't have a goal in mind and kind of know where you, what you want to do with whatever project, you got to have some kind of a vision for that. And then you have to have apply some marketing because without marketing, you're not going to get it to the people that you want. And those are things that while you're creating, you do need to think about. Oh yeah. Because if you don't, you suddenly you have a, a project and you don't know you, you you can put it out in the world but nobody's gonna see it and that's definitely happened with me and and you know in comedy projects and stuff you know i did a one-person show i i wrote it i i toured it i got it worked out then we filmed it and then we you know i put it out on amazon prime and i you know, eventually didn't get enough views or uh, yeah, they, ratings to where yeah. they, they ax it from, from Amazon Prime. But then I put it on YouTube or whatever. But the point with that is I never had a marketing goal in mind going into it. I was just like, oh, I'm going to put it on Amazon. Well, that's fine. But if you don't have some kind of idea or even like a little bit of a marketing budget, People aren't gonna see it. You got to get the word out. I don't. I don't want to use the word because it gets so. It's, it's. They say you need a niche, and I don't. I hate that word because they think that you just. It's a stuck. You're stuck. I don't like that word. Yep. What I say, you need a focus. You need. Yes, absolutely. Um, you need a focus. Um, and then you like, especially for anything material. Like my my podcast is a focus. I just simply interview creative people, mm-hmm. mostly filmmakers. That's the focus, and people understand. Well, technically, that. I am a filmmaker because I have made films. We work, <laughs> so I fit. We, we fixed the loophole right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I would say marketing is important. Whether you like, or love, or hate Madonna, she has a degree in marketing. She didn't get a degree in music, in music theory, or singing, or anything. She went to college to know how to market herself mm-hmm. and she did a fantastic job oh absolutely and she know how to agitate some people but she's still in people's brain no absolutely <laughs> and people adored her she knew them how to twist a little bit of well today i'm now doing madonna's doing marilyn monroe and that oh you don't know marilyn but hey you got a reaction i'm still here in your brain yep, you're thinking about me you're thinking so. about me right yep. yeah no that's exactly it and that's why i i I now have a degree in marketing. I learned that I needed to know more about marketing when I started doing comedy. And so I went back to school and got a degree in marketing. And then I thought, well, another skill that you need for to be creative, because this is where a lot of creative, independent people, independent creators lack, is business. You have no business sense. So I went back and got a degree in business as well, because those are all things that can apply to my own independent projects because they're important skills to have. Yeah. No location and a focus. I don't want to use the words genre or niche or whatever that that, that's just, or something like that. Just have a focus of what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Mel Brooks is comedy, right? It's parody, but he also produces a lot of serious movies Mm -hmm. too. And he takes his name off of it when it's like the elephant man, when he wrote the check for it, but he's like, it's Mel Brooks productions, but he's like, I'm not going to put myself in it because I have a focus and it's going to take away what this whole movie's about. Yep. People are going to, yep. They're going to, they're going to attach what I actually, you know, my other, what I'm known for to this and then not take it as serious. Yeah. Yep. Um, I would say 
and I don't have a degree in marketing like Dan, but I would say, and this is my focus, is when you make something, it has to be memorable or unforgettable. And mm-hmm. if it's really great, it's both. So if you're making something that you think it's going to be eh, forgettable, people forget about it like a month from later, work on it. You have to have something that people like, oh, man, I remember seeing that movie. Yep. It's still my brain. Even if it's a rotten movie. God, that was a rotten movie. It's still in your brain. You got a reaction out of somebody. Yep. Right? Or it's memorable. Like, I will never forget I saw Forrest Gump at a theater. Mm-hmm. Even though it's campy, cheesy, whatever you want to. But I will never forget the emotions and see that movie in a theater. Because there's something memorable about it. Yep. Yeah. So. No, absolutely. I mean, I even, and, and just kind of going off that, being memorable, I remember, I still remember one of the films from the 48-hour film project. That, yeah. Not that we did, but another team that was from Fargo. And I remember their film. Was it Fargo? <laughs> No, and I I still remember it to this day. I don't remember the name of it. I don't remember. I re, I kind of remember the plot, but I, the reason it's still in my brain is because of one joke that was so funny to me. <laughs> and it and it they were at a funeral and somebody won the lottery, and it was like a callback to a joke earlier in the film. And he just comes out with these guns shooting. Shooting, oh. and he's like, I won the lottery, mother effers, and pop, 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 pop. He makes it unforgettable. And, yeah, exactly, yeah. and it was at a funeral. That's yeah. why it was so funny, because it was just such an outrageous thing to happen at a at a funeral, but it made it memorable. That's why I, Arrested Development was so funny. They retained jokes. Like, you see somebody yep. paint themselves blue, and yep. then you watch another couple of episodes, <laughs> and you see a blue handprint on a cupboard, right? And then they retain that. Like Then it's like, oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yep. But uh, before we go to break, I would have mentioned that's why I like the movie prestige mm-hmm. with uh, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale because it was rival magicians you can put uh, artists right yep one really knows how to sell the art that's Hugh Jackman he really knows how to sell it he doesn't know how to make it very well yep and then you have Christian Bale who really knows how to make it doesn't really know how to sell it and of course they hate each other right they hate each other he knows how to sell it I hate him he really knows how to make it I hate it but it's yep. a whole different spectrum of creativity battling each other it is and that's why sometimes you know if you if you don't have the skills to do the one thing you do have to think about collabing even if you don't have to murder each other (laughs) you don't have to collab with other necessarily other artists but you do have to think about you know maybe investing in a marketing person to work with you or a a business you know uh, a business consultant or something like that you know you have to think about those things because it's they're definitely it's definitely important all right uh we're gonna take a break so you can think about that and back more with dan bublitz did I get it right? You got it right. Ah! <laughs> Hi, this is Mouse. I'm Weens. And we are two sisters with the Mouse and Weens podcast. Nice and clear. <laughs> Come take a listen. It's fun. We talk about life, love, and pubic hair. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> and all sorts of fun family memories and stuff. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> We're on all the platforms. And we hope you take a listen. Bye. Bye. Suck it. Hey everybody, this is Kelly Reynolds and I'm the host of Boobies and Newbies, the podcast that asks novice romance readers to think outside the dick in a box. Join me for a new episode every Friday as we review romance novels with non-romance readers. 
from the sweet, loving fairy tale romances of the Highlands. Who cares about up against the wall by the fruit trees? (laughs) Like, where's the dragon? Inside the belly of a dragon. To the naughty erotic threesomes with navy seals. Sex was a 10. I mean, you cannot get any better than this book. Come on, you guys. Really. We read it all. Check us out at Boobies Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Listen to previous episodes on any podcast streaming platform. You can also support Boobies and Newbies on Patreon.com for lots of bonus booby content and early episode releases. Back with Dan and Dan, it's nice that you're all just you like comics. I do love comics. In fact, after we're done recording, I'm gonna go to the comic book shop and go see what's in my box because <laughs> I have not collecting? been there for a couple years or a couple years no, a couple weeks. I haven't been there for a couple weeks. Uh, I've been collecting on and off uh, for a while. I've yeah. I've kind of went through phases, you know. Through my do. whole life. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. Right? So, like, when I was a kid, I actually started kind of getting into comic books as a teenager. There was this uh, this little grocery market in my neighborhood called The Square Deal. And it's still there. It's, it's a bar now, and they don't really do the grocery side of it anymore. But they used to have a little spinning rack that they sold comic books the old on. old-fashioned spinning yeah. rack. Yeah. The old-fashioned spinning rack. Uh, again, aging myself. Uh, <laughs> but we had a little um, corner pharmacy here in South St. Paul. Is on the corner. The door is on the corner. It's a little pharmacy shop. They still saw, use it. Size of loser. Well, it's gone now. Oh, but in the early right. '80s. It just had the corner was a. Oh yeah. Comic yep. Book rack. Exactly. And so, I uh, actually the first comic book I bought was uh, a Ren and Stimpy. You know uh, that I. Loved the cartoon, and they started making comic books, and then I we started. Can, we you know? can have salty animation for kids when they're super salty and gross. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. also, uh, you know, when I think about it now, I'm like, it's a good thing. Like, I don't think kids should have been able to buy them. As a, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they're a little, they're they're a little more. Uh, some of the stuff in there. And even in the cartoon, probably wasn't appropriate for kids, but it's whatever. I'm not. I'm not here to stand any moral ground. That was just, and that's when I started. So I kind of collected more as a reader. Then, then I got out of it because I got really big into gaming. So I was really big into like Magic: The Gathering and Hero Clicks and you know all those collectible games. But I actually own my own comic book store for uh six years and that's when i really got into comics i i uh had a partner who he'd been in the comic books since he was eight and you know i we we formed a partnership to open this comic book store and gaming store i was going to be the gaming guy he was the comics guy joining forces and i mean he he did a lot of gaming and stuff too but he didn't really play competitive he didn't do a lot of competitive gaming mm. where I was trying, you know, doing more competitive stuff. So I would run tournaments and all that stuff. But anyway, we opened this comic book store and then uh, I just kind of got into comics from that. Like, you know, we, you know, see all these cool books coming in and you're hanging out at the shop anyway. So you start reading and yeah. then, you know, right. so I started collecting 
And then the comic book shop, unfortunately, we had to close it. And uh, I had my collection, but I, I ended up selling it just because I, I started doing stand-up comedy and I decided to move to California. And so I sold my collection to a friend and uh, got out of collecting comic books. And then when I was in California, I kind of, I got back into it probably in like 2015. I started going to a local shop there and just buying some independents, indies. indies, just seeing what was out there. And, and then I've kept up with it since then. So now, currently, I've been collecting for almost seven years, probably. I would say Six the, or seven years, or seven the, or eight years. The indie market is really, really talented. Mm-hmm. It used to be hard in the 90s to find indie indie stuff yep. because it's so saturated. Diamond distribution would just saturate it from yeah. corporate. Yeah. Yep. Now indies, I mean, there's comic book, I know there's comic book stores that exclusively sell indies. Yeah. And yeah. there's some of them that will have an indie shelf now. Yep. So it's. I mean, a lot of comic book stores now haven't, you know, I mean, they'll, they always sell, you know, most of them will sell the mainstream stuff because that's, you know, the characters that everybody knows, but that's the main market. But like you said, they'll either have a shelf or they'll be dedicated to where it'll be the opposite, where they'll mostly have independence and they'll keep a shelf of the mainstream stuff right. for those other people. But. Uh, yeah, just in the last, even the last five, ten years, so many new great independent publishing houses have popped up. Yeah, just Google how many <clears throat> independent comic books have turned into movies. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Surprise. Uh, yeah. Road to Perdition's a graphic yep. novel. Yeah, another Ghost one. World was probably, yeah. Uh, Bulletproof Monk is another one that was a graphic novel that got turned into a movie. A lot of people don't realize that. That was a, you know, I don't remember if it was an indie comic, but it was a graphic novel. Yeah, which um, is really easy because you already have the storyboards. Yeah, that's there pretty much go. it. That's yeah. what's great about comic books, too, because when they, when they decide to turn them into a movie, if... They go by the comics. A lot of the big movies, like your, your, you know, like like Justice League or Batman, they they might use the comics as source material, but they're not using it right like a storyboard, like they could potentially. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I'm a big independent guy, uh, and we both love Ed Brubaker. Yes, Ed Brubaker is one of my favorite writers. Uh, I've just discovered him in the last like. Well, since I got back into comics, and so because of that, it's been it's it's both awesome and not awesome. It's awesome because now I get to go back into his back catalog and just you know read all this stuff. It's not awesome because I have to go back to his back catalog and find all this stuff because <laughs> he has a very extensive catalog because he has got a very uh, a long career in the industry. Yeah, now he's got a very independent career and a very established. But yes, he's but, the one that um, created the Winter Soldier saga. Yep. And so if you watch Winter Soldier, he's one of the lab coat dudes. Oh, really? I guess I didn't know he was in it. Yeah. I actually he just, doesn't have a line, but you can see him. He's one of the – Robert just, Redford comes and talks to the Winter Soldier, and he's in the chair, one of the lab coats. If you look, it's like, hey, that's Ed Brubaker. Oh, that's a great little – Towering over everybody. Great little Easter egg. Yeah. If anybody should have <laughs> been an offense – if there's a comic book writer that should be an offensive lineman, it's Ed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it helps with – for me, The I think one of the biggest things that – I. I discovered him through Criminal, the right, the yes. latest uh, volume of Criminal, which is kind of cool because it's like a bar sometimes that characters interact. Yes, almost. Yep. yeah. So like you'll read a story about this criminal, and then he's rounding up his gang at a bar, 
But then the next issue is like the whole other side of the bar where these guys are like hiding out. There's their, yep, yeah. a lot of overlap with characters yeah, and overlap. stuff. It's not like he's got kind of it's kind of there's a main character and then kind of his and it kind of uh, around his family because it's a couple generations too. You know, right, it's like yeah. a father, a son, and then you know brother. Uh, you know, so like you got that these different generations with this family, but then. The, Again, there's other characters that come into play, and they all kind of interact in this world. Uh, but I'm a big fan of true crime, so I love crime stuff, and I also like Noir because it's crime, you know, the, the, that kind of that kind of style. And so that's how I got into it. And, and Ed writes a lot of stuff like that. A lot of his material is Noir and crime and right. things like that. So I discovered him through Criminal. It just at the comic book shop in California. I was like, oh, criminal. This looks interesting. And it was a number one. And I didn't know it was a new, it wasn't new to me. It was a new comic. You know, it just came out. And I was like, oh, I'm on top of this. And then I was like, wow, this is really good. And then I'm like, oh, man, this is cool. And then other people that I knew were like, oh, yeah, Ed Brubaker's great. You should go back and look at all this stuff. And I went back and I'm like, oh, my God, I got some work to do. <laughs> Without anybody uh, looking up, um, Ed. It's it, reading Ed's stuff is um, his independent stuff, not like Captain Mark you know, with the Well, yeah, because he has done um, some mainstream stuff. He's yeah, did some stuff with with Gotham. But I'm Batman. saying his own thing. It's it's almost like a mixture of Dasha Hammett, who wrote Maltese Falcon, The Thin Man, those crime noirs books. Mm -hmm. But then it's almost like Dasha Hammett meets Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard is like you know like uh, Jackie Brown or Get Shorty. You know. Mm -hmm. Anybody that has a legit job is usually a cop. Everybody else doesn't have a real job. They're always <laughs> scheming or whatever. But yeah, some of them like Dash Hammond meets Elmer Leonard, and that's Ed. So yeah, that is probably a good description for him. Yeah. But yeah, so that's been great. That's what I, you know, kind of going back to that. But there's uh, uh, so many other great independents too that have been out there. Are you going to write your own comic book? I actually have a couple ideas. I've had awesome. over the years, I've had lots of ideas. It's more about. For me, it's sitting down and hashing them out and actually putting it in comic book format that I just need to – it's discipline, it's lack of discipline. I just need to sit down and do it. Turn off the phone. Turn off the phone, yes. Yeah. Get rid of all the distractions and just sit down and write them out. I've got uh, – currently I have like three different ideas for some comics. And then uh, I have a friend that started his own independent – uh, comic book company in South Dakota called Empire Comics and they were doing some independent stuff and he tried to hit me up about you know pitching some stuff to them and doing some stuff and we even talked about doing a stand-up special as a comic book too and you know ah. so which I think it would be kind of an interesting thing but I you know the other stuff would be more it would be a lot funner a to little, do a little yeah, more, more right. creative yeah. yeah when you write for comics you have a mysticism to have a what? The mysticism, like powers or whatever, you know, or just are you a little more grounded like Ed or? Uh, I think my stories are going to be more grounded like Ed. It's not so much superpowers. Like I have a couple ideas that will, you know, kind of revolve around. Um, one idea revolves around stand up, but not, you know, not in doing. It's not like a stand up book, but. I got it. But the character has ties to stand up kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But um, 
so yeah so there's that and then I, the other idea that i had had to do with like religion and like the main character is he does have some supernatural powers but it's because he's a hand of god and so that the idea is that his powers he's basically doing the dirty work for god like all the stuff that has happened through get history clean get your hands dirty while i get my hands clean yeah and kind of like he's got to do things to set things in motion and so he's the, the yeah, he's he's not a fixer, but the hand of God. He's going around and getting things set in motion because they're not actually, you know, if he doesn't make it happen, then history can be completely changed. It almost that sounds kind of like, thing, um, so. if you're familiar, um, F. Paul Wilson did a character called Repairman Jack, and he was a fixer. Not really a fixer, but he... he, he Maybe had some superpowers, but you don't really know. But it was one of those is if you could find them. It's almost like 18. If you can find them and you can hire them, you can get Repairman Jack. Oh, interesting. Um, and he has a, it's a, it's a, the funny thing is his fan club is run by Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen King likes his character so much. That's amazing. His kids do comics. Oh, his kids do comic books too? Yeah. Stephen um, King? Yeah, his yeah. kids, both of his sons have dabbled in comics. Um, but, uh, Hill, is it John Hill, I think is his name? One of his kids' name? Um, he does a lot of horror comics. Um, They're still out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and he's done, like, recent. Like, last year, he did a whole bunch of horror comics. I think people think comic books and think just superheroes and kid stuff, but there's just been going there's hard. Comics I mean, for every genre. Hellraiser comic book has been going for the last decade. Mm-hmm. And that's been getting. I mean, even I, I could stand the movie and I read the comic book. Like, wow, you're going to go there? Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. That's one yeah. of the things I love about comic books now too is that there really is something for everybody. You know, all genres are pretty much covered. There, you could buy Darkwing Duck still. Yeah, and you're getting, you're even getting into the point now where it's more inclusive. You know, for you know minorities and you know. <clears throat> sexual orientation and you know right, creators yeah. of those and yep. comics specifically for those people and it, it's great and it, you know even with like there's tv shows that get turned into comic books and you know comic books that get turned into tv shows and the whole thing it's it's just a great to me it's a great uh it's a great obsession to have <laughs> and if you do something new to something we all seen that's <gasps> That's what comic books are, right? Yeah, if you could do hold on to something that we always seen before, but kind of twist it a little bit. Yep. Yeah. A little Add more. Had a little twist to it. Yeah. I mean, we all. My favorite story is I went to the comic book store. God, it had to be 2005, and the guy behind the counter is like, "Hey, we got the number ones for you." And I always buy number ones. And then I saw the Walking Dead one. It was the first one. It was a black and white. And I was like, "I'm tired of zombies. I got. I, but it's a number one." And I put it back on the shelf. I had it in my hand. I looked through it and I put it back on the shelf. I should have bought how many? I should have bought the whole rack. There were like five of them. And I still think about it to the day. If I just bought all five of them. Because what? Walking Dead number one is selling for like $20,000. It's an inflatable price. But mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Well, I'll have you know, we share a similar story. Because Uh-oh. I owned my comic book store at that time. And I too decided not that i collected number ones but i too decided not to get it i was like ah eh, zombies yay that's <clears> the same thing so i'm just yeah. like eh. and now i'm like man ah 
Damn. <laughs> I wish I would have. <laughs> and I'll give you another one. Um, when I used to work at the mom and pop video store in the late 90s, you know, when you could wear your final, it wasn't it wasn't like Blockbuster where we had a uniform, but it wasn't corporate. It was like a mom and pop yep. old fashioned video store. And they would just throw the posters in the trash. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? You know, I would, and I would secretly, I had a clipboard and people bid me if they want to buy the, the posters. <laughs> You're running a racket. I, went, I ran a racket in college to pay for gas, right? So I have like, somebody's like, what are you with this poster? How much you want for it? Five bucks. Well, somebody's going to sell me 10. You want to go higher? And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so... still pissed that I sold the Event Horizon one for 50 bucks. Why, what's that worth now? I don't know, but I want it. I no. want that. <laughs> you're, you're I, like, I, I want... just wish I would have kept it. I would have kept it. <laughs> I kept the usual suspects one. Ooh, that's I kept a good the, one. It's a little bit shredded, but I kept that one. But I should have hold on. I'm still of all the movie posters of the '90s. I still want the uh, Event Horizon one. That back. was a good movie, though. I sold a the really Titanic poster for over a hundred. Wow! Some sounds like you had a pretty good racket. And they didn't say anything. They didn't say it because they were just going to throw them away. They didn't really like. They didn't. I think the people ran the. But that's why I went to to hell because they didn't understand. They just thought it was a sub cash grab. They didn't know movies. They just wanted to have a business that would. Just... Oh yeah, they just wanted a business. I gotcha. Yeah. And that was easy because anybody had a rental. <clears throat> if you had a rental movie rental place in the late nineties, it was going to make money. Yeah, it was just yeah. going to make money. That's the way it was. And yep. so they just like, and they on the side they pretty much ran a landscaping business. That was where they made the most. Of it. Oh it okay, it that side. that was just a oh yeah yeah. And that usually happens with people who have you know where they. Start like, ah, oh, we have this extra money. Let's start another business for another income stream. But then they don't take it as serious. Yeah. So it just kind of falls to the wayside. I my I had a big argument with them about when the movie Titanic came out because they want to buy like 40 copies of Titanic. And I was like, it's not going to make – you're going to lose money. And they go, why? It's a big hit. And it's like because everybody's seen it in the theater three times. Yeah. And yep. then when it comes out, they're going to buy it. They're not going to rent it. They're going to buy it. They're going to buy everything – they're not going to rent it. And they didn't believe me. And then they had like 40 copies stay on the rack because they didn't listen to me. Nobody's going to rent this movie. They're going to have a piece of it. Right. Yep. And they sat in the theater five times. So it's like, what's the deal? And yeah. that's a lot of money because uh, back then to buy videotapes to use as rentals. Especially that was a two taper. I know. Were very expensive. I mean, you could spend anywhere from, you know, 60 to over a hundred dollars just to buy a video cassette that you could use in a rental store. Because I worked for a company that I'd worked for a, a video rental place. Too. That's right. Well, no, nah, they, they, it was a, a, a drug store, but they had. On the side? Kind of like clerks? Well, yeah. They had video rental as part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it would and, make money no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was the thing. You, I would see some of that pricing of some of the stuff we would order. And it's like, wow, that's a lot per unit. And then that's why I think the movie, why the movie Heat didn't get into the recognition that it deserved when it came out, because that was a two-tape rental, and so we would charge for two tapes, and that was an expensive investment to rent because mm -hmm. if rental was like five bucks, well, that's a two-tape, so that'd be ten bucks to rent that movie, and that stand on the that's that didn't move very much. Nope. That movie Heat, and unless you saw it in the theater and you knew what you're getting into. People didn't really pay attention to the movie. Now everybody's like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's such a great movie. So you still got VHSs? <clears throat> no, I don't. <laughs> nope. I uh, I did. I have a few DVDs. I kind of, like, when I lived in California, I kind of came a little bit of a minimalist. Not just because, 
you don't know, have a lot of space, right? I didn't have a lot of space in my apartment and, you know, traveling. Like when I moved back from California, if I couldn't fit it in my car, it didn't come with me, essentially. I mean, yeah. I left a lot Makes of furniture sense. there that I, I mean, and it, most of the furniture I had was all secondhand stuff anyway. It wasn't a big deal, but I wasn't, um, <clears throat> You know, I sold a lot of my DVDs and things like that. I kept the stuff that I really liked, but that's one thing I like about cons, especially mm -hmm. like Crypticons or film cons or Comic Cons. When somebody has a table of old VHSs, oh look at all of it! I remember these. Yeah, yeah. I remember this sleeve. Do you have? Uh, I still have some VHSs. Have, I have some old nice. plastic book book kind of ones. Remember those? Yep. Ah, yep. Ah. Yep. Those plastic type Two book ones. Right? Yep. Yeah. The awkward. Look like a book, yeah. Still have some of those. I don't have a working VCR anymore. Oh, yeah. But you need a working VCR. You do. Yep. No, I. Yeah, I'm just kind of. And now, like, like I said, I'm. I, I collect comic books, so that's the thing that I'm where my space goes. <laughs> well, I, um, this is even though I don't have a DVD copy, but the, that's the reason why I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark in the movie theater with my wife when I was about six years ago. She's like, "Why?" I go. Because I've only seen a VH copy of this. I still want to see Scratchy Scratch, whatever, like tracking. I've never seen a really bright, good print of this movie, and I love this movie. <laughs> this is why we're going to theater to see this movie. Did it live up to your expectations? Oh, yeah. The, it's the even quality? better theater. The yeah. sound design? Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Of course, a gun doesn't sound like that. But in the movie, that that is just <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, Dan, thanks for coming, man. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I thank you for having me. Um, before you go, what is what kind of is your kind of favorite movie? Do you like noirs? I do like a lot of noirs. Uh, I mean, I oh god, a favorite movie is so hard because there's no, so many great movies. Yeah. It's but the Usual Suspects <clears throat> was a movie that I really liked. I like a lot of comedies too, you know. And it, this is a stupid one, but my all time favorite Here we comedy, go. I love it, is uh, Grandma's Boy. What? I've never heard of this. Grandma's Boy? You've never heard of Grandma's Boy? No. Uh, it's uh, Alan Colbert, who, you know, he, he he's in a lot of Adam Sandler movies. Okay. Swartzen is in it. Um, and, and Jonah Hill is in it. Like, I think it was like one of the first movies he did. Like, he's not a main character in it. He's like a side this character. It's pretty super bad in there, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a movie about a video game designer. <laughs> Thing. And, and it's there's the I mean the the plot ain't that great. It's not a great story, but it's you don't need to be. Yeah, it's funny. a lot of it's a lot of like burns and jokes and just stupid humor. Yeah. And I loved I I it was one of the movies I saw at a video rental store, and I thought, well, let's looks dumb, but it's you know, hey. Happy Madison production. Let's check it out. Hey, and Cheech we, and Chong made a career out of one joke. Yeah, and we rented it, and all my friends. Yeah, it, we're like, oh my god, this movie was hilarious. And this is when I owned my comic book store. And then for like one whole summer, every Sunday, our ritual was to come to my house. All my friends, we just hung out at my house and we watched that movie for like a whole summer. Every Sunday, we watched that movie. We could not get enough. I'm gonna. And we laughed all the time. I'm gonna commit myself to the at the end of the year. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch this because I don't I don't think I've never even heard of this Grandma's Boy. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, because in the 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 story, the main character loses his his house uh, or his apartment, and he ends up moving in with his grandma. 
It's got a pretty good cast for them for for what it is. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna watch it. All right. Well, Dan, thanks for being my last interview of the year. Hey, thanks for having me. This um, is fun. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have to do it again. I would love to. Uh, uh, maybe, uh, we, maybe we should do a reaction video to yeah. Grandma's Boy. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Running out of time though. I'm moving to Denver, so. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, in January. Yeah, we're. Uh, You're gonna get a lot of contact high when you get off the plane. That's right. That's right. <laughs> It's not, and it's not going to be because of the evolution. Right. You're just going to like, why do I crave bacon all of a sudden? I don't <laughs> right? <laughs> Where's that mountain of pizza? <laughs> I'm suddenly hungry. <laughs> all right, Dan. So it's end of the year. Uh, thanks for every listening. Thanks, Dan, for coming. And it's not over till the guests say it's over. All right. Well, uh, make sure you come find me online at danbublitz.com. And uh, everywhere on social media, dbublitz comedy. And uh, I guess that's a wrap. It's over. There we go.